BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Leslie McClurg, in for Mina Kim. Every year, about 500,000 American moms experience anxiety, guilt, and insomnia after their baby is born. And some are even suicidal. Mental health care for new moms varies greatly. Mother and baby units are considered the gold standard of inpatient psychiatric care for new moms in England and several other countries, but none exist in the U.S., We look at why American hospitals separate mothers from their babies, even in moments of crisis, and efforts underway to keep them together. That's coming up after the news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg, in for Mina Kim. If a new mom is in the midst of a psychiatric crisis in England, she gets to stay with her new baby while she receives inpatient mental health treatment. But that is not the case in the U.S. KQED health correspondent April Domboski has been covering these mom and baby units, and her reporting appears in the latest issue of the journal Health Affairs. Good morning, April. Good morning. We're going to dig into this with her shortly, but first I want to introduce two other guests that are with us. Uh, Catherine Grant, she's a woman who experienced postpartum psychosis and spent three months in a mother-baby unit in London. Good morning, Catherine. Hi, yes, good morning. Good evening. (laughs) Good evening, thank you. And Christina Delaney, she's also a woman who experienced postpartum psychosis, and she spent two weeks in a general psychiatric ward in North Carolina. Good morning, Christina. Or good, good, good afternoon, probably. Hi there, good afternoon. So April, I'm hoping you can kind of just lay the land for us here. What exactly is a mother and baby unit, and why did you go to England to visit one? Right. So um, mother and baby units, uh, this is a place where women go if they're experiencing a mental health crisis after having a baby. So severe postpartum depression where a mom may become suicidal or uh, a condition called postpartum psychosis where a new mom may become really confused or lose touch with reality, maybe even be hallucinating, you know, conditions that require really intensive care. And in the U.S., uh, you know, what typically happens is a mom will go to a general psychiatric ward for a short period of time, completely separated from her baby. Maybe she'll get to visit for 20 minutes during that time. But in England and France and several other countries, the gold standard of care is to admit the mother and the baby into the hospital together and to treat them as a unit. So and the thinking is that, you know, mom will recover faster if she is also at the same time continuing to develop her identity as a mother. And so she will you know, get um, instruction on how to take care of the baby and that bond with the baby is really kept at the center. And I went to England to, you know, explore these mother and baby units because I had been reporting on postpartum mental health care for a couple of years. And I just kept hearing 
over and over from both doctors and from patients. We're not doing right by moms in the U.S. We really need to change the way that we offer care. And everybody looked to England. And so I wanted to go over there and check it out and see for myself how these mother and baby units work. Well, let's hear a little bit about about how they work from from a first-person experience. Catherine, tell us what was going on for you at the time when you were admitted to one of these facilities, and why did you need this kind of specialized care? Hi, yes, sure. So I've heard it described as a a psychiatric emergency, and um, I will say I was very fortunate because for me it happened... Um, when I was still in hospital, so very shortly after the birth of my son, um, we'd had a really scary C-section birth after a long labour, and um, it was really the nurses who were looking after me in the high dependency unit, um, the recovery room, essentially, from the C-section, who noticed that I was, um, to them, um, catatonic. And this is clearly quite alarming because I I wasn't responding to them and I I certainly wasn't responding to my newborn. Um, They called in my husband and my my sister. Family members kind of rushed in. It was the middle of the night. And um, they figured out eventually that it it possibly was a a psychosis that was happening rather than a stroke or anything like that. It was, well, to me, it was just the most frightening experience. I was hallucinating and, and quite delusional as well. Um, The reason I was catatonic, a a simple way to explain it, is that I was scared stiff. So I was hallucinating that um, my my stomach after the birth was was expanding and was about to explode. And I was hallucinating that the nurses themselves were um, talking about how this was going to happen and putting on face masks and scrubs and, and pulling the curtains around my bed and that kind of thing. And then the delusional aspects as well, I was too scared to say anything to anybody because I didn't know who anyone was. Um, I thought my husband, I saw he was there, but I I didn't speak to him because I thought if he turned out to be a doctor or a member of staff and not my husband, Tom, then, you know, the last 10 years of my life have all just been a really weird dream. And then, of course, with my sister, I couldn't talk to her either, because if she turned out not to be who I thought she was, then um, I was in the Matrix and I'd taken the wrong pill. And yeah, I was convinced, um, yeah, I I had no idea really who I was or who anyone was. And it was really, just really scary. And obviously, um, yeah, I I wasn't in my right mind. And, and you know, it it came and went over a course of a few days and... um, to cut a a very long story short, um, after being home for just one night, I I demanded, in my very anxious, slightly paranoid state, I demanded to go back to hospital. My family took me to the same hospital where I gave birth. And from there, I was diagnosed with postpartum psychosis. And then that night I was admitted to the mother and baby unit in the psychiatric hospital down the road. And then yeah, the moment I set foot in that building, um, it was really scary, I think, for my husband. <laughs> he dropped off his newborn and his wife in this scary psychiatric hospital. But to me, it was a place of safety because the minute the nurses there took James and he, he slept uh, for a good number of weeks in the in the nursery, the minute I knew he was safe in my eyes, I um, my mind just completely... Um, when I was hallucinating delusional for for several weeks, the, the doctors call it florid psychosis, which I think is a great term. Um, I had all sorts of things going on, thinking I was um, 
in the apocalypse. I was one of the last people left alive. I was locked in my room um, thinking I'd been responsible for all sorts of, of horrible things. Um, and from speaking to other people that have had this condition, it, that that's quite typical, I think. A lot of us have had really strange experiences like that, delusions about the end of the world. Um, yeah, but I was certainly in the right place whilst that was going on. And was your baby in the right place? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, the the thing was, I knew um, I knew he was safe. He was well looked after, and they involved me. I mean, even it sounds ridiculous, but even though I was um, some of the time delusional, paranoid, screaming, um, you know, really ill, they would still involve me. So under you know close supervision, I was there you know, feeding him, changing his nappy, his, his diaper, um, you know, bathing him and, and just gradually, gradually being given more and more responsibility for him. Um, and of course, after I, I was less psychotic through the treatment I was on, the medication, um, I was very, very anxious and depressed. So of course, there the nurses really, their job was to build up my confidence and to reassure me that he was he was fine and that I hadn't damaged him in any way and that I could mother him. And and that was, I think, re- the time when the, being the MBU was, was amazing because um, the staff there from the nursery nurses through to the, the psychiatrist, they all focused on my relationship with James. Um, and it, I don't think without, without them, I really don't think I would have been confident enough to to do anything with them. I was such a, well, I was just overcome with the feelings of guilt, shame. I, you know, I put my family, my new family through so much and I, I just felt awful. Um, but, you know, they basically, they, they kind of made sure that I knew that I was a person that really had to step up and be his mom. No one else was going to do that job for me. So, yeah. I would love to. Very- yeah, I mean, wow. As, as a mother, I... I can imagine that was an incredibly, incredibly disorienting and terrifying experience. I'm curious, uh, Christina, how does that story land for you hearing about how Catherine was treated and the treatment that she received? Absolutely. I mean, it makes me slightly jealous because of the experience that I had here in the United States and just some initial thoughts of hearing her story and the similarities of our stories. Um, she said something that just really resonated with me. It was scary for her husband and her family, but she felt safe. Mm. Um, and that is not the case for so many here. Um, it's a very scary experience to go through um, being in a psych ward as a new mom in the United States. It definitely didn't feel like a safe place to me. Um, so that is really the um, one thing that one thing of many that stuck out to me uh, and the differences of our experiences. What was going on for you at the time? Was it was it similar in the in the term in the sense of hallucinations and not trusting anyone? What, what was your experience like? Yes, yeah, so I I did hallucinate and um, I was very very paranoid um, throughout the entire experience and it was. Uh, signs and symptoms that completely blindsided um, me, even as a registered nurse, 
um, that I, I just wasn't prepared for. And that's, you know, that's the case with so many, so many mothers who experience this um, perinatal psychosis. And um, I spent two weeks in a general psychiatric unit. Which, what does uh, that look like? What, what was the treatment like there? It was, I had uh, occasional injections. Um, I was obviously treated with medications. Um, I was put in a unit alongside of men, women, older, younger, no one of which was going through what I was going through. Um, it was very, very scary um, for me and my, and my family. Um, there were times I didn't recognize who my husband was. Um, so the, the support that families receive when they're going through this is really, really inadequate. Um, when I was in the ER uh, waiting to be transferred and really waiting to be seen and diagnosed, um, they didn't prepare my husband that he couldn't stay with me. So the first night he slept in his truck um, because he didn't know what was going on. Uh, that always brings me to tears. Um, absolutely. I, I want to hear more. We're going to continue the conversation shortly. We're talking about postpartum mental health care in the U.S. compared to other parts of the world with April Domboski. She's a health correspondent here at KQED with Catherine Grant, and she experienced postpartum psychosis. And she spent three months in a mother-baby unit in London. And also Christina Delaney, who we just heard from, she experienced postpartum psychosis and spent two weeks in a general psychiatric ward in North Carolina. We're going to continue the conversation shortly. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. We're talking about postpartum mental health care in the U.S. compared to other parts of the world. And we're joined here now by April Domboski. She's a health correspondent here at KQED. And two women who experienced postpartum psychosis, Catherine Grant and Christina Delaney. And we're also now joined by Dr. Nirmulji Dami. She's a perinatal psychiatrist and medical director for the inpatient perinatal psychiatric unit at El Camino Health. Uh, good morning, Dr. Dami. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I'm curious if you can just give us a little more of a fleshing out of what we're talking about here. What is the difference between postpartum psychosis and postpartum depression? Um, so in terms of clinical presentation, postpartum psychosis is is a unique constellation of symptoms. And there's actually 
actually a lot of movement in the field of perinatal psychiatry to have to create an independent diagnosis for for that in the DSM because of its unique presentation but postpartum psychosis um, is base, basically disorganization of a mother's thinking or a patient's thinking process and it can often wax and wane it can come with some classic uh, what we call positive psychotic symptoms like hallucinations and delusions and other times can just present with confusion, disorientation. Simply said, sometimes the presentation could be that a patient just cannot do simple tasks that they were able to do before because their mind cannot process and break down information into simple pieces. So it's a, a constellation of symptoms. Um, I do want to underscore one point that it can be easily missed in an emergency room setting or by providers who are not trained in assessing it carefully and knowing about it because of the waxing and waning nature. Um, postpartum depression is, um, is depression, but there are certain features that are unique to the postpartum period. Um, the, it, it, includes high anxiety. Oftentimes women can have intrusive or scary thoughts. And um, there is a lot of guilt and rumination about the role of a mother or not being a good enough mother. Um, but those would stand out to me as the classic separating points between the two. Well, I'm I suffered slightly, not 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 very severely, but I did suffer from some postpartum depression, and I, I can't honestly imagine being separated from my child during that time. I don't think we would consider separating a child uh, from their mother if they were suffering from postpartum depression. So why in the U.S. are we separating mothers when they have postpartum psychosis? Well, I think it is, um, you know, this is a huge problem at multiple levels, <laughs> not just ethical, but at multiple levels. Um, the concept of conjoint admission of mother and baby has never, it's never taken any shape or form here in the U.S. It's not been accepted by, by the healthcare systems or by by the pairs. And I think that 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 is the core issue here. We do not recognize as a nation that mothers need to be united with their babies as they go through mental health issues. And it's critical at multiple levels, not just for the mother's health or the baby's well-being. This is long-term mental health, multi-generational well-being we are talking about. We we just don't have that lens to see a mother's mental health in that way. So um, our mental health system is very siloed and the goal is to, you know, usually the goal is to diagnose a person, treat that symptoms and get them out of the hospital as fast as you can. And that's just how, that's just how it's changed over the years. So we're separating the mothers from the babies because we don't have the infrastructure to teach, uh, to treat them together. and. We also don't have enough legislative and public health push to begin initiating that infrastructure. Well, I want to bring in callers here. Have you or someone you know needed postpartum mental health care 
what was that experience like? Or maybe have you cared for someone who is suffering from postpartum depression? Call us now at 1-866-733-6786. That's 1-866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on either Twitter or Facebook or at KQED Forum, or you can email your comments or questions to forum at kqed.org. I want to turn now, just April, it looks like you have a comment here. I just wanted to add on to what Dr. Dami was saying about, you know, why we don't emulate the care that uh, they do in England. And it's because it's also because of some structural issues with our healthcare system. There have been doctors who have tried to open, uh, you know, a mother baby unit in the United States. And the the rub that they really hit up against was usually with the insurance companies. So, you know, couple people had a full plan. They worked it out with their hospital, even drew up a floor plan for, you know, a mother and baby unit. But when they sat down to negotiate with insurance companies about how they were going to pay for it, the insurers basically said, you know, we will never pay to have a healthy baby admitted to the hospital. They just they weren't willing to take on the cost and they weren't willing to take on you know, the potential liability. So that has been one of the the main obstacles to, you know, a, a full emulation to what they have in England. There have been some places that have tried to approximate a mother and baby unit, you know, in, in the, um, the programming that they do, but there are no units in the U.S. where babies actually are admitted and sleep, stay overnight. Well, Christina, to get back to your story uh, before the break, you were you were telling us about how terrifying that was, you know, to have your husband drop you off at the general psych unit. What was it like for you to be separated from your child while you were going through this time? It was definitely hard. Um, when I was there, my husband very smartly brought pictures to me um, with my children. Um, and that honestly was my saving grace um, to have those pictures, to share others, to share with others um, and know that that was my goal to get home to. And how long were you in the general psych unit and what did your care look like? I was there for two weeks. Um, and at the very beginning, I, I'm pretty sure they did so many tests um, to rule out everything else that could have been going on. Um, and I had a 24 seven sitter with me to keep me safe um, and keep me safe from others. Um, and in this particular unit, when you have a 24 seven sitter, you cannot go eat with everybody else. You have to eat by yourself in your room. Um, you can't go outside when everybody else is going outside for, you know, for recreation. Um, and so when I got back and got discharged, I was very weak because I was confined to um, a hallway, <laughs> essentially. Um, and in there, they, of course, had group um, groups and therapy individually. Um, but therapy with and, other, not with other women suffering from the same issues. I'm assuming therapy right. with, you know, folks suffering from substance abuse or, or potentially other issues. Exactly, exactly. There was no one else that was there that was going through what I was going through. Um, so it was very difficult. Um, I didn't open up very much um, in group therapy. And it was hard and very scary. Um, very scary place to be. And Catherine, listening to that, 
How is your care different? I think you were actually in a mother and baby unit for three months, and then your care even continued afterwards. So listening to Christina, how would you differentiate how you were treated, cared for, and potentially um, got better? Yeah, I, I feel very lucky. I really do. I feel like my care was, um, wasn't was rushed. And, um, you know, I say I was in the unit for three months. I should say the last month of that was a very careful, very scheduled, gradual discharge process. So I was let home for a few hours on Christmas Day. So James was born in the beginning of November. And uh, Christmas Day was our sort of target to get home just for a few hours. And then we went back to the unit. Then we went home home again for a day and then back and then a weekend and then eventually a whole week so it was very careful and the, the doctors made sure that I knew that my bed was there for me if I needed it to give me the confidence to get home um, I mean the actual medical care sounds quite similar so again 24-7 observation so I had someone with me someone sat in my doorway at night and um, I was on a lot of medication um, but again just just very gradually encouraged to do more and you know I wasn't allowed to just lie in my bed all day which was my natural inclination on all of that sort of heavily tranquilizing medication but I was made to kind of get up and um, participate in the ward and, and to um, take take charge of my baby as well so even though he was mainly cared for by the staff at first um, I still you know read his notes and, and paid attention to what was going on with him and I just want to shout out to one member of staff in particular um, who I really credit with the turning point in the recovery. Um, you know, alongside the psychiatrist who was incredible, um, was a lady, um, Dr. Paulby, who's a child, inf child infant, parent infant psychotherapist. Um, she's retired now, but she was there um, at the time. And, and just a few sessions with her, with my son and my husband as well, was incredible because she allowed me to see that that there was nothing wrong with James, that, that he hadn't been harmed by anything that had happened mm -hmm. and that I was able to talk to him and play with him and start to enjoy him for the first time. Um, and, and she had this lovely, kind of very calm, very confident, grandmotherly way of, of expressing that to me. And I, I really can't thank her enough. Um, those are so necessary. I can't imagine, honestly, of having my child without having my mom there 24-7 for, for a month. Let's go to Sarah in Oakland. You're on the air. Thank you so much to everyone for this amazing conversation. Um, my heart just swelled when I heard that this was the topic for today. Um, I, I'm a mother of three now, but um, I had a really traumatic birth experience with my first child. And I, I feel very sure that that was a huge contributing factor to having um, postpartum depression, um, I think that went undiagnosed for too long. Um, and so in thinking about this, how we treat newborn moms, how we treat even moms in the labor and delivery process, and even kind of in the later stages of pregnancy in this country, we kind of refuse to treat the problems, the challenges of mothers, women, as unique or special in some way mm -hmm. and um, kind of lumping moms in with, I mean, it sounds awful being in a general psych unit where that is not the place you should be. Um, and it really feels related to this broader sort of social reluctance or refusal in our society to um, 
to take extra or special care with mothers and motherhood. And so I'm wondering if you have any comments on that sort of larger pattern. Yeah, Dr. Dami, I would love for you to, to speak to that in terms of the care that's really required or necessary, specialized care for moms, especially in this moment. What is available and where are we lacking as a country? Oh, I could go on forever, April, but I'll try to be succinct. You know, so just just take, just stepping back a little bit, I do want to comment on the interdepartment piece. In terms of perinatal mental health, you know, it's the most physiologically, biopsychosocially, it's it's just a it's a significant time of change for the mother and for the family unit. And there are many changes that are happening in the mother's body as she goes through this process. And I think interdepartment collaboration is very important. There has to be collaboration between the OB team, the um, the doulas, the uh, when the mother delivers, the pediatrician, the psychiatry team. And that's, that's again, a very important part. It's important to address the traumatic birth experience as the caller was, was mentioning. And I think we're significantly lacking in that inter-department collaboration here in the United States because we work in so many silos. One of the things that we're trying to do here at El Camino is, is actually address some of the birth trauma right at the very beginning. So we've started a collaborative model with our OB service. And it has been an eye-opening experience in terms of just the impact of traumatic birth and how important that initial um, conversation is with the moms. Now, in terms of um, inpatient psychiatry, I think we're significantly lacking at multiple levels. Um, there was a comment in the chat about training. I think that's the first thing we need to have really robust educational campaigns and hospitals need to invest in that. Staff need to be trained in recognizing and understanding perinatal mental health, understanding the critical need for treating the family unit in the setting, not just the mom, and then the critical need to, to support attachment between the mother and the baby. There, you know, there, we, there was a comment about gold standard of care. I actually think this should be normal standard of care for any mom who's going through a mental health issue. And you, we would not do this in any other field of medicine. You know, we won't like amputate somebody and say, go figure out how you need to walk. I mean, I'm giving an extreme example here. But we are treating mothers who have depression, anxiety, or psychosis by admitting them to a psychiatric ward with staff who do not understand what's going on with medications that you know mitigate their symptoms, but not really addressing their core issues. And then we are discharging back to a very um, difficult environment and expecting them to make it work on their own when they're not even able to think correctly. And it's, it's really heartbreaking. But I think if I could give one message out, it would be educating the staff that work with patients. And we've done, as a community hospital, we've been able to do some of that. We're not able to achieve what the mother-baby units have achieved in the UK, but we've collaborated with several mother-baby units from the world. And our staff is, all our nursing staff is trained to recognize postpartum psychosis, is trained to understand the role of trauma and how it can surface up during a perinatal experience. And, and I, I, think, I think if we can educate people, we can begin bridging the significant gaps in perinatal mental health issues. 
Well, April, what is available in terms of in here in the U.S. if you're in one of these crises? Is it only a general psych ward or do we have some other option? Um, there are several perinatal psychiatrists who are really pioneers in this field, and Dr. Dami is absolutely one of them. Um, about 10 years ago, um, there were some doctors in North Carolina at UNC Chapel Hill um, who also really set out to to see what they could do to improve inpatient psychiatric care for new moms. They went to France. They went to Europe. They visited, you know, the mother-baby units. They had the conversations with the insurers who said, you know, mother-baby unit, no way. And so they basically went as far as they could up to that limit. And so they have a specialized inpatient perinatal psychiatry unit where it's designed specifically for women who are pregnant or have recently had a baby. All the programming that they have really does try to emulate what they have in the other countries. So, um, you know, classes teaching mom how to read and respond to her baby's cues. Um, Family therapy where they bring the partner in and, you know, talk about how to support mom. Uh, with a mental illness or, you know, mom's just practicing how to ask for help, you know, just and and so some needed. of it and some of it is, you know, straight up time management classes. You know, when you're taking care of a baby, how do you also make time to take a shower or take a walk or otherwise take care of yourself? Um, and so there um, we've had just a handful of um, units in the U.S., like that that I've opened up. And I believe Dr. Dami's unit in the South Bay is the most recent one. Excellent. We're going to continue talking about postpartum mental health care in the U.S. compared with other parts of the world. And we want to hear from you. We have lots of calls lined up. We're going to go to those shortly. We're joined by April Domboski. She's a health correspondent here at KQED. Catherine Grant and Christina Dulaney are both women who experienced postpartum psychosis. We're hearing their stories. And Dr. Dami, she's a perinatal psychiatrist and medical director for the inpatient perinatal psychiatric unit at El Camino Health. We'll be back with all of you shortly. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
You're listening to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg in for Mina Kim. And we're talking about postpartum mental health care in the U.S. compared with other parts of the world. And we want to hear from you. Have you or someone you know needed to access postpartum mental health care? And what was that experience like for you? Or have you cared for someone suffering from postpartum depression? Give us a call now at 1-866-733-6786. That's 1-866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or a good old-fashioned email. That's forum at kqed.org. We're going to go to Elizabeth now. Elizabeth, you're on the air. Hi. um, I had a question for the doctor. I suffered from postpartum psychosis while I was still in the hospital after giving birth to my first daughter. And um, something that I noticed, I've actually participated in the UNC study that was mentioned by uh, one of the other participants on the call. Um, My daughter is eight now, but I've been researching what happened to me for years because it was so traumatic. So I still stay up to date on everything and all of the uh, research that's happening around this topic. So thank you for doing the show. But um, one thing I wanted to know about is depression and anxiety can lead to insomnia for some patients. And um, I hadn't slept for about three days before I had my psychotic break at the hospital. So I wonder if that's something that um, practitioners are looking at um, because an Apple Watch, something as simple as an Apple Watch can track your sleeping. So um, you will have a psychotic break if you haven't slept for several days. So that's number one. Number two, I wanted to echo the doctor's uh, sentiment that um, practitioners are very siloed. My OBGYN, the psychiatrist, the resident doctors, it was a mess. Um, I did not deliver here. I delivered in Singapore. But um, they did not coordinate. They did not know what to look for. Um, When I mentioned I hadn't slept for three days, I asked for a sleeping pill, um, and the resident would not give it to me. Um, So I had my husband rush home and get melatonin and all kinds of other things. Um, But it it just, you could tell people were not trained what to look for. They didn't know what was happening, um, and they were not communicating with each other. Um, So it was a very uh, disheartening situation. But um, I also wanted to know if blood loss um, from a C-section or or something like that had anything to do with it. Um, So thanks for taking my call. Dr. Dami, can you respond to Elizabeth? Yes, first of all, thank you for sharing your experience. And um, I'm sorry that it was so difficult. I um, I encounter this a lot too with some of the pa- with patients that I work with. So the siloed part of the healthcare system is definitely a big issue, and the lack of training and education is a big issue too. And in terms of your first question about the sleep, yes, that is something that most providers, um, most psychiatrists will ask women or patients who come into the emergency room. With moms, it can be a tricky thing because a lot of people tend to normalize not sleeping as having a new baby. So I think that's when a provider has to delve deeper into why they're not sleeping and how to maximize sleep and then come up with a medication management plan. We usually here at El Camino do a stepwise plan of we can take this and And if there are underlying mood symptoms or confusion and disorganization, then there are other and different meds. Um, So it's a, it's a, it's a sleep can be an initial presenting uh, symptom, but there are many, many other symptoms that need to be looked at as we address sleep in, in, in a mom who is three days postpartum. And then in terms of the blood loss, I don't have any comment on that. Um, 
I, um, again, want to echo your, I mean, I really want to reinforce the siloed part of the healthcare system and the lack of education. I mean, to, to not give a mom who's saying I can't sleep for three days help with sleep. To me, that really looks at the lack of training at medical school level, at residency level, and then, you know, in, in, at a practice level. I know personally, my midwife came and visited me at home and told me, gave us a sleeping schedule because I was starting to get really loopy. And I don't I think this is also not part of American care to send someone home to care for a mother afterwards. But I do believe that happens in England. Is that is that correct, April, that someone will come home with a mom? Um, yeah, when I uh, first talked to Catherine, she was sharing with me that um, after she went home, a midwife came to visit her once a week, and that apparently that is actually routine, that all moms get that. Um, so there is this, there is that that kind of follow-up, and I think the fact that it happens at home is really significant. So I think when you're a new mom, you know, getting out of the house is near impossible, and, you know, taking time away from your baby is near impossible. So to have someone just come to you and meet you where you're at that makes a huge difference. And tell you and your husband to get your stuff together so that you can get some sleep. Uh, Carol writes, I was able to keep my baby with me when I suffered postpartum depression 38 years ago, but only because I had to demand it. And it helped that I was employed at the hospital where I delivered. The baby stayed in the room with me. This was three months after delivery. I had severe anxiety and depression. And Sarah writes, I had postpartum psychosis and was hospitalized. It started with not being able to sleep at all and then developed into acute paranoia. Then during menopause, I had a similar experience. She's asking, what role do hormones play in all this? I have gotten no answers from doctors. Dr. Dami, hormones? Yes, significant role. Um, so want to want to actually touch on another point here, which is relevant to the question, but there is a lack of research in our field too, April. We we just there was a very nice article written by Dr. Kathy Wisner on you know the pregnant woman is a therapeutic orphan. We don't want to do research on them. We don't do research on them, and hence we don't know much. And a lot of our treatment recommendations are are driven from studies that are uh, more observation based or anecdotal evidence. So um, I think that a lot more research needs to be done on the role of hormones and um, the role of inflammatory neurotransmitters um, that, that can uh, trigger or worsen some symptoms postpartum and also do a similar thing when a woman is perimenopausal or menopausal. Um, but yes, hormones do play a significant role. We do need to do some research and acute postpartum psychosis actually is a rich time in terms of, um, you know, if you would really want to focus on targeted research and look at the brain fluids and the neuro, neurotransmitters, I think that, that it's just such a rich time to do that, to do that clinical research. Uh, but much more needs to be done to further our understanding about the interplay between hormones and neurotransmitters and how they can cause worsening of symptoms. Right. Uh, Victoria in San Jose, you're on the air. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Um, I wanted to contribute just a little bit of um, something that I have. I have bipolar type 1, and I worked in childcare for seven or eight years. Um, I'm 27, and I, my bipolar disorder has been quite crippling. I wasn't diagnosed until later in life. 
And this, I don't have any children, but the fear that I have around postpartum care and around just a lack of faith that I have in our healthcare system, everything that's being discussed is what's stopping me from having children. I also want to just mention, um, I don't make a ton of money, um, and my husband is a trade worker, and all of this kind of talk of doulas and midwives, that's um, a bit of a privileged uh, take, and I don't I would love to hire a doula and I would love to have a midwife and I would love to have all of those things, but I have Kaiser. <laughs> so the the fear around kind of experiencing psychosis um, and what might come in getting off of my meds just to get pregnant and then after my pregnancy is crippling me from, from motherhood. And I, I wanted to contribute just that take. Well, April, you've been covering these issues for a long time, and you're shaking your head in the studio here. I'm just curious, do you have some response in terms of mother maternal health care and, and care for women in general? Yeah, I mean, that's just such an incredible comment from the caller, and I really thank you for sharing that perspective with all of us. It, it was making me think about how, um, you know, women who, new moms who are having, you know, some, some mental health troubles will often not seek treatment because they know it's bad. <laughs> so, you know, um, and, and there are some studies that have been done to really show this, that, you know, if a mom knows that she's going to be separated from her baby, she won't go in to seek that care. Um, studies also showing that, you know, if mom is separated from her baby, you know, for a couple weeks or however long and then comes home, her, her chances of relapse are actually much higher once she gets home because she's, you overwhelmed. know, overwhelmed and, and, and unfamiliar with her baby. You know, she said she's sent back home to take care of a baby that she, you know, has been described to me. She doesn't know. Um, and so to just sort of take it to this other extreme of like, well, I'm not going to have a baby at all. Um, that's intense. And I, I do just want to respond briefly on that front, because California is trying to change that. And um, we are our lawmakers in the state just passed um, the California Momnibus Act, which is really aiming at trying to improve care for new moms, especially if you're low income. So Medi-Cal, our Medi-Cal program now is going to have a doula benefit. Mm -hmm. um, Medi-Cal benefits used to get, uh, women would often be dropped 90 days after having a baby, which is, you know, horrible if you end up having a postpartum mental health condition, which can develop up to a year or sometimes even more. Um, California is changing that. We are now extending mm -hmm. Medicaid coverage for up to a year postpartum. So I, I just wanted to say there are lawmakers and advocates out there who are really want to change things and improve the system. And there have been some steps taken in that direction. Very exciting. Uh, Dagon from Mountain View, you're on the air. Oh, hi. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks. Thank you, Catherine and Christina, for your vulnerability in sharing your lived experiences with perinatal mental health condition. Uh, here's my question. Um, from your individual care experiences, what would you like my clinical care team to do more or not to do at all in providing care to the new moms in inpatient or outpatient settings? For reference, uh, I'm the clinical director of mental health and addiction services at El Camino Hospital. 
Thank you so much for the question. Catherine, do you want to go first? Wow, yeah. Um, amazing that you're you're taking interest in the subject. I guess just make sure that your your staff are trained to, to spot the common signs and and symptoms and, and early warning signs to ask the questions that, that might be bubbling under the surface. So um, listening along to the lady who mentioned um, sleep deprivation, and I was thinking back to the, the week that I spent in hospital receiving antibiotics and whatnot after the birth, I was poked and prodded and had my temperature taken and my blood pressure numerous times, but nobody ever asked me about whether or not I had slept. Um, so simple things like like that, sleeping, eating, um, continuity of care is the other thing. If, if you can give your staff the time to, to get to know a family and a, and a mother and her expectations and her wishes and, um, you know, really get to know her cultural backgrounds and all the rest of it, then I think you, that goes a long way. Um, and then the last thing I would say, if I can, is just um, make sure your service is trauma informed and, and birth can sadly be a, a traumatic experience for many women as well. Thank you for sharing that, Catherine. You're listening to Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg in for Mina Kim, and we're talking about postpartum mental health care in the U.S. compared to other parts of the world. I want to go to you, Christina. Uh, how would you inform uh, Digon in terms of what you needed for your care? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm grateful that he's listening and, and called in to ask. Um, <laughs> you can only see the list that I, I started um, to prepare myself to answer the question. Um, but as Dr. Dami has already mentioned, you know, interdisciplinary care and support, um, I think is crucial and critical. Um, education and training for any touch point where that mother could enter um, care, whether it's outpatient, um, the ER specifically. Um, I find as I support mothers now that um, education and training is, is non-existent with ER nurses and staff. Um, and I think that's a critical, critical piece um, where anyone across the nation could really attempt to change um, the stigma and the care and the support that these mothers are experiencing. Um, also being knowledgeable of the resources that are available whether it's locally, nationwide, um, virtually now, um, as well as the specialized therapists and the specialized doulas um, that are well-versed in perinatal mental health is absolutely um, critical. Um, and the family support, uh, as I mentioned previously, you know, my husband was sleeping in his truck um, and he had no clue what was going on. Um, and it's not, it, it's also part of educating families and the and the along with the mothers um that's one passion of mine that um i really think that families need to be more educated as well um and okay to seek support when they need it like we've heard a few times on the show it takes a village uh carly let's go to you from san mateo you're on the air oh hi there um i've never done this before can you guys hear me we can hear you great Okay, great. I'm sorry about that. Um, well, thanks for having me on. I just wanted to mention that um, you can get, you know, the, the postpartum depression care, um, but you do, as we've heard, have to be your own advocate and strongly. You know, I found that after having my son, that the only question that was really ever asked at doctor appointments was, do you feel like harming yourself or your infant? To which I always responded, no, because I didn't. 
Um, but I did have severe postpartum depression and chronic insomnia that lasted for over a year. Um, and I ended up having to, you know, seek out that care myself. This was here in the Bay Area. Um, I think I received good medical treatment, but no one was ever really looking for it. And I had to, I had to realize that something was going wrong myself. You know, I ended up seeing um, two different um, psychiatrists to, you know, kind of come back to myself. And it affected my family and my connection to my son significantly. I don't think that I really had an attachment to my son until he was maybe a year and a half or two years old because of that. And during the postpartum therapy that I had, um, I actually received treatment for PTSD. And that's actually what made a big difference in my mental health. So, and to the one of the previous callers point, like all of this was out of pocket, sought out private practitioners. And I was, you know, I'm lucky but I was able to afford to get this care. But it certainly was never never offered or made available through, you know, the main system, I guess you could say. So, well, anyway, thank you, Carly. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your comment and hopefully inspiring other mothers to to push forward until the system supports them like they should. Uh, Susan writes, I cannot separate this issue of the extremely poor way that women in postnatal distress are treated from the broader issues of how women are treated in the U.S. in general. Look at the abortion issues, working wage of women, childcare, and so much more. Women and children are marginalized in this country on every level. We've been talking about postpartum mental health care in the U.S. compared with other parts of the world, and hopefully we have landed on some really strong ways to help and support women going forward. Any final comment from you, April, listening to this conversation in terms of what women need? Oh, I'm just thinking about the last, you know, caller about how much you have to advocate for yourself. And I just think that's a really high bar to be asking anybody experiencing, you know, a mental health, mental health struggles and any new mom, you know, um, we should have structures in place so that, you know, women don't have to beg for help that, you know, the support is there and recognizing it before hopefully before a woman recognizes it herself. May it be so going forward. Thank you so much, Catherine and Christina, for your courage and sharing your stories today. I really appreciate your time. And Dr. Dami, thank you for the work that you do and for advocating and championing for women. Thank you all, and thank you to our listeners. This is Forum. I'm Leslie McClurg. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.